Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much, and we hope you have a great week. God bless you. Let's go to the book of James, chapter number one. Book of James, chapter number one. going to read verses 13 through 15. It reads like this, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So James is instructing the church, when you feel temptation to do evil, Don't say, God is trying to get me to do something evil. That's not how God operates. Just I don't have the time to fully cover this. There are times that Scripture says God will test us, but He's not tempting us to do evil. He's not placing a sin before us and saying, come on, do that. That's not how God operates. He goes on to say in verse 14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. What I want to preach today is the life cycle of sin. The life cycle of sin. You're going to have to excuse the construction analogy. The contractor in me is going to show through for a moment, but I think this is going to be something we can all relate to and understand. Throwing stuff around. I want you to imagine with me that you have a bad roof. Your roof is leaking. Your shingles are no good. You know that your shingles are no good. They're too old. The last storm that came through blew a couple of them off. They're all deteriorated. You've got a bad roof, and so you make your way down to the hardware store, and you begin to add up the cost of what it's going to take to replace your roof. And guess what? That's not cheap. And it's going to take a lot of time, and it's going to take a lot of effort. And you don't want to spend your money, your resources, or your energy to replace the roof. So you're standing there, and you're torn. You know what needs to be done. And you know that it has to be addressed. And, and this little pail right here catches your eye. Wet, or dry. I think they're from Alabama. <laughs> Maybe not. So this catches your eye and, and you look at it and you think, well, that can't be. You, that's not going to fix my roof. But it would be easy. And it's only $11. And, and it doesn't take any time. And so you start looking and like, look, it says 
It's got a three-year warranty. And you're looking at the shingles and you're like, well, that's, that's like six grand. Probably a week's worth of work. That's, that's $11. You know, it's probably not going to work, but I, I don't want to do that right now. I'm just going to put this in my cart. I'm going to take, I'm probably not going to use it. it. You know, I've realized it's a gimmick, but 11 bucks, maybe, maybe an emergency. So I'm going to, I'm going to take this home. And that sits on the shelf in the garage and we keep having the problem with the roof and it's, it's just there and it's like, I mean, I could, but it's messy. It's really messy. I don't know. Day comes when we finally go out and we work around, work all the way around the can, crawl up on the roof, pop this thing open. Ooh. That looks messy. I, but, but you know what? I can handle it. I can handle that. I've got the tools in me. I've got what it takes to make sure that this doesn't get on me. It's not going to get me. I'm going to use it to my benefit, and, it, and it's not going to get me. You take a big scoop out of there. Anybody want some? <laughs> Look, I mean, it just looks like it wants to jump off of that trowel and get all over my gray suit. And I'm operating dangerously right now because maybe it will. Anybody ever use this? You ever use this stuff? It, I mean, you think? Sticky? Look at this. This stuff is sticky. Gunky. It, it, it's just, it's everywhere. And there's something about using it. I have used it. You try to smear it in and it just keeps sticking to the tool and it, it gets everywhere. So when you decide in all reality to use this product, it always starts out like that. You got the tool, you've got the and, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna use this to, to meet this need right here and and I'm gonna be really careful so that it doesn't get on me. And it, it's only a matter of time. I promise you, you will get it on your hands. It's a problem. You're going to get this on your hands. And, and so you're like, oh, and you're, you're breaking it off on stuff. Because I don't want it anywhere else. It's on my hands. And it doesn't really wipe off. It just smears and gets, it, it, now it's further on your hand. But, but it's okay. And then you grab your trowel again. Now it's, now it's on your, the handle of your trowel. And your, your coworker comes over to pick up the trowel. It wasn't his fault. But now it's on him. And he's like, ah, oh, dude, sabotage, man. You, you set me up. Now you've both got it on your hands and somebody's going to go open the cooler and, and then at lunchtime, somebody's going to sit on that cooler. Ah, now it's, it's back here. Now you don't even care anymore. Now it's all over. The pants are ruined anyway, so next time you get it on your hands, she does my laundry. She knows what I'm talking about. Whatever, it doesn't even matter. Anymore. Now you've got it all over. And you brushed up against the can. Now it's on my shirt. <laughs> you're, you're working with it and it splashes a little bit. I don't know how it splashes, but it does. And you get the little spots. You got little spots of tar on your face. And it, it's like it just crawls. I, I, I don't understand the product. But it, it just works its way around. And it gets on everything. And everybody. 
Somebody's inevitably, when you're working on the roof, they're going to step too close to where you put it. And now this brand new roof that you're working on has, has footprints. And you want to throw somebody off the roof. But it, it just has the ability to get everywhere. It does. No matter what you do, it gets everywhere. And it stinks. I'll put the lid back on it. I can take a hint. <laughs> you just want this to get on me. That's, that's what it is. I'm also going to move it way out of the way. But where I can still see it. This is a lot like sin. Because why does sin have the ability to feel so powerful in regards to temptation? What is it about, about sin that has such a draw to me? And there can be one sin that has a pull to you and has no effect on someone else. Very little effect. And yet they can deal with something that, that so so easily besets them, to use some biblical terminology, and, and you look at that and you're like, why, why would you even struggle with that? It's not a thing. James tells us why. <coughs> he said in verse 14, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See, it's not a leaky roof, but there's a problem in my life. There's something that I'm dealing with. There's something that I'm, I'm struggling with. There's something in my flesh or in my family or, or in my schedule. There's something that's weighing on me. There is a problem that exists. And I'm, I'm looking at what it really takes to fix my problem, and it requires time and resources and energy. And then there's, there's this thing over here called sin that offers immediate gratification. Mm -hmm. oh, it's 11 bucks. It's easy to get. It's easy to access. It's easy to apply. And all your problems are solved. And sin's there. Look at the packaging on this thing. It's very clean, crisp lines, blocky letter. Like, it's just going to be right where you want it. It's going to fix your little problem. And, and that, that's, that's all it's going to do. Sin offers immediate gratification. It offers to provide this instant gratification. Hebrews 11, speaking about Moses, verses 24 and 25, says this, But by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God and to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Scripture lets us know that there would have been a season of pleasure in Moses' life. Mm -hmm. Had he caved to the temptation to just go with the flow, to, to take the opportunity that was set before him, though it was sinful, it would have produced a season of pleasure in his life. He could have looked the other way and, and just pretended within his mind and, and tried to harden his heart to the fact that he was an Israelite and he could have continued to dwell in the palace of Pharaoh. He could have been Pharaoh's grandson and all of the splendor and everything that came with it, the riches and the honor, it, it was all his for the taking. It was an easy solution to a very, very messy problem. 
Overwhelmed and hurting people are tempted with sins that offer a way to escape the reality. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become a drug addict. Yeah, I think that I've been looking at the life of other drug addicts and, and I think that's the life for me. Yep, I, that's what I want to do. I want to get strung out on cocaine and, and, and I want to do all these horrible things. Yep, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Nobody does that. What happens in life is people become weighed down with problems. They become overworked and stressed and they're hurt by other people or, or they deal with physical ailments in their life and they've got all of these very, very real struggles. Real struggles. And the real solutions in life require energy and resources and time. It takes time to get past hurts and struggles and and being overwhelmed and stressed. It takes time to forge a relationship with God, which we know holds the real answers to their problems. But but here on the other hand is is sin. And you don't have to do any of that. All you got to do, take these pills. Swallow a little bit of water. You're going to forget all your troubles ever existed, at least for a little while. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it offers this, this nice, crisp package of escape. Mm-hmm. You, can, you, can simply, you can simply fade all your troubles away. Say, well, I would never do drugs. It also, people in this condition are tempted to indulge themselves in self-gratifying entertainment. That's what I'll do. I'll just forget about reality. I'm not going to give any attention to the problems of my family. I'm not going to think about the, the bills. I'm not going to think about the hurt or the pain. I'm, I'm just going to stop everything. I'm going to, I'm going to feed my mind with entertainment so I can just think about something else. I can live life vicariously right. through someone who doesn't have any of my problems. I'll just get lost in this, this show, in this book, in this radio program, in whatever it is hobby that I'm setting before myself and I'll just I'll just let the problems sit where they sit. That's right. And there's a pleasure for a season that comes with that. People that are feeling unloved or undesired or tempted by sins that offer them attention. They often find themselves looking at the sins of fornication, adultery or even demeaning behavior toward other people that show themselves as superior. Because if I can somehow make you feel like less than you are, then, then I'll look like more than I am. And I'll get the attention that, that I so desperately need in my life. And it's sinful, but, it, but it's packaged in such a way that, man, it looks good. Man, it looks easy. There's a pressure that we all face to fit in with the world around us. It's, it's part of human nature. We don't want to be... The, the weirdos. We don't want to be the oddballs. We don't want to be different. Everybody wants to be different in the exact same way. Look at people say, oh, I do this because I want to be different. And then you look at all the people they hang out with and they all do the same thing. Whether it's how they dress or how they talk or what they do. It, it's like, no, I'm just different. Just like everyone else in my life is different. But, but there's something within us that wants to fit in so bad that, that we don't ever want to be singled out. We don't ever want to be isolated. Sometimes it's even in a good way. Like, if I do something good, just, just don't tell anybody. Like, I don't want to be in front. I don't want to be singled out. I don't want that attention. And so we're tempted to fade in, to just, to just lay aside convictions in an effort to blend or conform. We're tempted to avoid certain biblical teachings that call us to be different. Because after all, it'd be easier. be easier to just go with the flow. Amen. Here's the question. 
Or the next question that I would ask. At least this company has the good sense to sell their product for $11. Because that's about all it's worth. Where's the price tag for sin? It advertises this immediate gratification, but, but there's no price tag. I don't know about you. I despise shopping for things where there's no price tag. If I'm looking for vehicles and I drive through the lot and they refuse to advertise how much they want for their vehicles, I just go somewhere else. It bugs me. It drives me crazy. You know why? Because I feel like they are relying more on the sales pitch than the value of the product to determine its price. If it was all about the product, then just put the stupid price tag on what it is that I'm looking for. But that's the way sin is. See, the enemy doesn't place a price tag on sin. He wants you to listen to the pitch. You need to hear the pitch. Don't worry about the price yet. Just listen to how good it's going to be. Listen to how great it's going to be in your life and all the things it's going to do for you so that I can, I can build up a false sense of value yes. in your mind and then the price won't matter. If you could see the cost prior to being fooled by the pitch, it would not have the same appeal. There's something about that. I'm, I'm on this vehicle thing because I'm kind of to the point where my truck, I either have to put a lot of money in it to fix it up and keep it or trade it in and, and get another one. But to get a vehicle like I need to pull my trailer and do my job, I started looking at some of these, these vehicles that are out there right now. They have lost their minds. I wouldn't buy a brand new one anyways, but just for fun, I looked up what a brand new, um, I think it was a GMC 3500 would cost. Any, any guess? 71, the one I found, $71,000. And then, you, and then it's a very short loan. I would pay more per month for my truck than my house. I don't understand. And so immediately when I see the price tag, I think, that ain't happening. <laughs> now, if all I'm doing is looking at the shiny paint and the nice new interior, and, oh, it smells good and it's got no problems, it's got no rust, it's got, it, look, it, it, would be, it would be great. It would pull the trailer just fine. It would meet all of my needs. And if I never seen the price tag, I could very easily be convinced that this is the truck for me. This is the one I need. This is what this is going to solve all my problems. It's going to take so much stress out of my life. Wrong. $71,000 is pretty stressful for me. But there's something about seeing the price tag. That's what James does for us in verse 15. He said in verse 14 that this temptation is a byproduct of us being drawn away by our own lust. Okay, he says then, when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. So temptation, let's, let's back up a moment, temptation is not sinful. So when you feel tempted to do evil, when you feel tempted to do wrong in God's eyes, and you're battling with that, don't fall into the, the trap of Satan to come alongside and say, see, you're already a bad person. If you weren't a bad person, you wouldn't even be struggling with this. He's, he plays both sides of the fence. See, he's the one trying to talk you into it. And then when you start to struggle with it, he flips and he says, Oh man, look at you. You call yourself a child of God? You, you say you believe in Jesus? Right. Man, look at the kind of thoughts you're having. Look, look at the things you're thinking about doing. What's wrong with you? 
He says, when, when that lust, when that temptation has, has come to completion, when it has conceived, the Scripture says, it brings forth sin. It's not sinful until I, I act on it. Sometimes that act is mental. If I'm dwelling on things that are inappropriate, then I have, in essence, taken action. But the temptation itself is not evil. It bringeth forth sin. When it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do I have any buyers? That thing that's so appealing, it's, it's right there, man. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fix all my problems. I'm not going to have to spend any energy or any time. It's going to be so great, so lovely, so wonderful. All it's going to cost me is my relationship with God. Hmm. When you're being tempted with pleasure that will last for a little while, but it will cost you an eternity in heaven, it's really not that appealing. Yeah, it smells great. The new car, man, it smells wonderful. But, but let's see, that uh, in exchange for an eternity in hell. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't think I'm going to buy. When the price tag is exposed, the temptation loses its appeal altogether. But we never think about the price tag. Revelation 21 and 7 tells us that nothing unclean will enter the kingdom of God. So when your flesh tries to justify or, or Satan tries to convince you that you, you, can, you can indulge in this and you've got the tools needed, right? You've got what it takes to play with this thing and not get it on you. You've got what it takes. It's not going to affect your life. It's not going to affect your family. It's not going to hurt anybody around you. It, 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 you're going to be able to keep it at a, at a distance. You're going to use it right where you need it just to meet that little need. And, and that's all it's going to be. And, and you've got what it takes. No, you don't have what it takes. Mm -hmm. Because sin is just like that. It starts out just a, a little thing here and a little thing there. And it, now it's on your hands and eventually you wipe it on your pants. And, and, and it's just all over the place. And whether you like it or not, you're brushing up against your loved ones and sin has an effect on the people around you. That's right. I wish that sin was isolated only to the transgressor, but that's not the way it works. Sin, it, it just spreads like a disease. 1 Corinthians in six, chapter 6 tells us that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. The enemy would like to convince you that you can make small compromises and indulge yourself in what you would classify as little sins and still go to heaven. But the Word of God says very clearly that no unrighteousness is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. When I allow these things to reside in me and stay in my life and I buy into it, the easy solution, the easy answer, and I accept sin as my own and I just, I just accept it and I live with it and I indulge in it, I should know full well that there is a price tag that comes along with that and I will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sin, when it is finished, produces death. Death. What's the what's the final the final cost? Death. Death, eternal damnation. Death, separation from God. Death in my life. This friend is the life cycle of sin. It starts out seeming so innocent and so controllable, and yet it, it very quickly matures into something that we cannot handle and ultimately cost us our life. What do I do 
when I'm already marred with tar? That's the question we have to ask because every one of us at some point in our life has fallen short of God's glory. And despite our best efforts, even after our initial salvation, we do our best. We don't excuse sin because of what we've once received. But we do recognize that we still contend with flesh and there are times that we fall and we fail. So now what do I do? The fleshly temptation is to run and to get some napkins. Right? When you get this on you, you get some napkins, you're going to wipe it. But you can't get this stuff off. Try what you may. You're going to be in there with pouring gasoline on your, on your skin trying to get this off. It, it just stays. It, it sticks there. So what do I do when I've already got sin stuck to my life? When it's already there? The common housefly has a lifespan of 7 to 10 days in the summer months. This whole thing about 24 hours is not true. Seven to ten days. That's a pretty short life. But in its short lifetime, a fly can radically impact your life. You ever had a fly like in your room or in your car? And it, it, it just bugs you to death. No pun intended. It lands on your food, causing you to throw out what you would have eaten. It affects your diet. Stupid fly. Now i got to throw this away. It buzzes around your head early in the morning or all throughout the night, causing you to lose sleep. It's just a little fly. It's only going to live. Its lifespan is so short, and yet it's wreaking havoc in my life. It bites you, causing bumps and itching and pain. And you know what? We don't put up with it. That fly may have been born to live for 7 to 10 days, but when it starts bothering me, its lifespan gets a lot shorter. We look like fools in our pajamas running around our bedroom with whatever we can get in our hands to possibly kill this fly. Give me something. Give me a t-shirt. Give me a fly swatter. We got one of those little electric things you can swing through the air. I mean, we're doing whatever we can. We want to kill this thing. We want it dead. You're driving down the road, swerving in the other lane. Like, caution to the wind, the fly has to go. I will drive this car into the ditch in order to kill this fly. There's just something about it. We, we do whatever it takes to get rid of it. We go to any length necessary to rid ourselves of this nuisance. So should we approach sin. Because we can't wipe it off, we can't rub it off. God's Word doesn't give us any leeway to write it off. It's just there. It sticks to us. It, 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 it taints us. We've got spots and blemishes. Sin has a way of impacting our life. Yes. It's not in my power to cleanse myself. There's no cleaner that I can buy at the industrial store. There's nothing that I can, I can find to cleanse me in and of my own accord from sin. We in our efforts cannot shorten or stop the life cycle of sin. See, it's nice with the fly because I can eventually come in contact and I can squash that thing. But in, in my own fleshly efforts, once sin is activated in my life, I cannot stop the progression that we've seen in Scripture. That sin, it will bring forth death. I can't stop it. There's nothing I can do. But I know a God who can. 1 John 1 and 7 if we walk in the light as He is in the light, 
we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. There's something out there that can cleanse us from all sin. There's something about the blood of Jesus that will do what nothing else can do. It will wipe us clean. Every liar, every thief, every abuser, every act of greed, every defiant attitude towards God's authority in my life, every hateful action, every foul word, every inappropriate flirtation, every promiscuous activity, every gossip, every sales pitch that I've ever bought into before considering the price of sin can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He said, I will cleanse you from all, all sin. Mm -hmm. All sin. Ephesians 2 and 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh, how? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Scripture says, by the blood of Christ. See, it's talking about the Gentiles. It's talking about you and I who are non-Jewish people. It says you used to be, you used to be far from God. You had no, yes. no covenant with Him. You had no relationship with Him. But the blood of Jesus has changed that. I was a Gentile. I was a sinner from the word go. I didn't stand a chance. I was not born into a relationship with God. And though some of us here were maybe born into church, you were not born into a relationship with God either. I was not inducted into a relationship with God by attending a church. That's not how it works. It's not that... Thank God I'm attending church. I now have a relationship with God. No. No. My sins, not only was I a Gentile, but the sin in my life had driven me far away from God. Anybody ever felt that way? These things that are in my life, the things that are in my heart, all the easy solutions that I bought into and I thought were going to save me and I thought were going to help me, now I'm, I'm starting to see the, the consequences and the penalty. The pleasure of sin, that, that season's coming to a close and I'm seeing the ramifications of sin and I'm looking around and I can't find God because it's created such a distance between Him and I. And I find myself far, far away from God. And I'm looking... And I can't find Him, and I'm struggling. But when I express my desire to have a relationship with Him, I'm, I'm thinking back on my own testimony right now. Coming into the presence of God and recognizing full well from the moment I could feel God's presence, I am nowhere near that God. I, I have no way to get close to Him. But I'm, I'm so covered in this, in this sin, I'm so covered in this tar that that, that it creates such a divide between Him and I. I, I can't cross it. But when I open my mouth and I begin to pray, God, I, I want a relationship with You. When I acknowledge that my sin stood between us, and I acknowledge that I had no ability, no ability to cross that, that chasm, that, that gap that was between us, it was Him who cleansed me through the power of His blood. His blood was shed for my sins to be washed away. And in just an instant, in just a moment, everything that I had done that caused me so much torment and so much trouble, it was, it was shortened. The lifespan of this sin was short-circuited. And it was brought to a close. How? By the, by the blood of Jesus. 
See, the blood of Jesus is gruesome. Calvary is not a quaint or casual conversation. When you start to talk about what had to take place for that blood to be shed, it is an awful thing. It was something painful. It was something that had to take place because the Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the shedding of that blood on Calvary, your sins could not be remitted or taken away. But because He was willing to endure the cross, we have a pathway back to righteousness and back to God. You know why He did it? The Scripture tells us that He, he endured the pain of the cross for what was set before Him. He could see past the momentary pain of the cross and He could see a day when you and I were going to acknowledge our sin and acknowledge the fact that we needed God. He wanted a relationship with us so bad that He said, I'm willing. I'm willing to step out of heaven. I'm willing to walk among men. I'm willing to, 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 to defile my holiness and by wrapping it in flesh and living and endearing and enduring the temptations that they went through. It says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as are we. Yes. That's what makes the blood of Jesus so powerful. He wasn't um, you know, magic flesh, God walking around with no ability to sin. He walked this earth just like you and I. And He dealt with flesh just like you and I did. And the power of sin tried to seek it, sink its fangs into Him right. just like it sank its fangs into us. Mm-hmm. But Jesus walked this earth sinless. Hallelujah. He did not allow the, the sales pitch to capture Praise His God. attention. He kept His mindset on the eternal ramifications and He lived a sinless Jesus. life. Mm-hmm. So when that sinless blood was shed, it was yes. enough to cover the sins of all Hallelujah. humanity. Whosoever will come to a place of repentance and call upon the name of the Lord and seek God's help, His blood can cover their sins. Within the parameters of this blessed relationship, we still find temptation getting the better of you and I. We still fall from time to time, even after experiencing Calvary. It's a shameful thing to talk about. If I were to be completely honest, I'm, I'm more ashamed of the times that I've fallen in the presence of God after my salvation than before my salvation. Because at least then I could plead ignorance. Uh-huh. But let's be real, there are times after that encounter, after I, came, after I came to a place and I seen what it took on Calvary, and I understood the sacrifice that He made, and I still went out and did something stupid. I still went out and and believed the lie and bought into the easy solution and found myself sinning before God who had already cleansed me. I I knew what it was to be covered in that mess. And I knew what it was to be cleansed. And I still messed up. We've all been there. As ashamed as I am to admit it, I'm okay admitting it because you've been there too. I'm grateful for 1 John 1 and 9. This passage of Scripture is written to to saved people. This isn't written to the lost world. This is written to save people. If we confess our sins, huh? if we confess our sins, we got to get past that shame that I'm talking about and come to the place where we say, God, I couldn't do it on my own before and I can't do it on my own now. I've messed up. This is what I've done. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Yes. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
His blood hasn't become less powerful after we receive salvation. His blood doesn't, doesn't lose its effectiveness after we've received salvation. Amen. Now it does caution us, the Word of God does tell us that if we go out and sin willingly, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. If I'm just casually approaching... The problem is they're the heart of the matter. When people say things like, well, I know this is wrong, I'm going to do it anyways and I will repent later. You're not really repenting later. You may pray a prayer that sounds like repentance, but you're not sorry. Mm-hmm. You, you knew full well what you were going to do, and you chose sin over obedience to God. The, the Scripture warns us when that becomes a pattern in our lifestyle that we need to check ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because that's not repentance. So when we come back with this, Oh God, I, I, you know the thing I did. I plead your blood. And we're, we're approaching the blood of God as something that's casual and, and easy to access, then, then we're messing up. I'm not saying that if you've done that, you can't come to a place of real repentance. In fact, that's what I would encourage us to get to. Yes. A place where we say, God, even my approach toward your blood in the past has been sinful. Even, even the way I've, I've addressed you in the past, my mindset regarding sin hasn't been right, but now I see clearly that I can't do that and I need your mercy and I need your blood. Then, then the blood of God is activated. If we're faithful if, or if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 6 and 20. I'm going to read through verse 23 and I'll close with this passage of Scripture. It tells us, For when ye were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. This is a concept that that in some realms, realms of Christianity is totally missed. When I was out living in the world, when I'm completely committed to a sinful lifestyle, I'm, I'm free... From the law of righteousness. I'm not making any attempt to live righteously. I'm just doing what I want to do. I'm a task or I'm I'm a slave to a taskmaster named sin, but I'm free from righteousness. That's what he says here. He says, When you were servants to sin, you were free from righteousness. He asked in verse 21, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. He reiterates what James says. The end of those things is death. Where's the fruit of everything you did as a sinful individual? What what has it produced in your life? It's produced shame and death. Verse 22, But now being made free from sin, Oh, thank God, I'm free from sin. And become servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. This idea that, oh, I'm free in God, I'm free in God, I'm free in Christ, I'm free in Jesus. Yeah, you're free from sin. But in order to become free from sin, you become a servant to God. You trade one master for another. You're going to serve something. He says, but the fruit... The fruit of serving God, it it works holiness in your life. And holiness brings about 
everlasting life. So the fruit of sin, the fruit of living for sin, is shame, and the end is death. The fruit of serving God is holiness, and the end is eternal life. He summarizes in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. You earn what you get when you live a sinful lifestyle. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can't earn that. We can can earn our way to hell. We can go out, we can do the things that deserve the wages of sin, which is death. But then when we come to God and, and, and we receive the gift of His blood that washes over us and cleanses us. That's not something I can stand and say, yes, see, what I did was I worked really hard and I did all these things and so God had no choice but to shed His blood. No, 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 it's the gift of God. God says, yes, you're, you're a mess, man. You're covered in tar. You've got all this stuff on you. It's on your face. It's on your clothes. It, it's everywhere. It's affecting your family. It's affecting your friends. It's affecting your relationships. But I'll tell you what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you my blood. And my blood has the ability to wipe it all away. To cleanse every bit of it. It's going to bring about holiness in your life. Holiness. That means you're going to live for me. You're going to begin to obey my commands and my word. And my nature is going to start to show through in your life. And when that happens, it's going to bring about a completely different end to your life. The path you were on was taking you straight to death and hell, but, but I've got something different. See, when you, when you live holy, you seek after me, there's, there's eternal life. There's life. You can live forever in my presence in a kingdom that I've prepared for you. The blood of Jesus is still just as powerful as it ever was. <coughs> if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus, I would make that appeal today. Because baptism in the name of Jesus yes. is the application of the blood yes. to my life. Thank you, Lord. It's the application of, of God's blood to my life. I don't have the time to... It's been 41 minutes already. There's plenty of scriptures that I could give you. But when you go down in the waters of baptism, in the name of Jesus, you're being washed in His blood. It's a good day to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Amen. Beyond that, if you've already been baptized in the name of Jesus and you're sitting here today and you've got, maybe it's just a little spot. Maybe it's just a little, little bit of something that you've got on you and you haven't dealt with it. You don't have to be re-baptized. The Scripture teaches us in the passage that we read in 1 John that we can just come to a place and confess our sins before God. Here's a, I'll let you in on a secret. He already knows. Okay? There's this big pressure like, I don't want to say that to God. He's aware. He's waiting on you to confess it. God, this is what I've done. This is where I'm at. And I know I can't do anything about it. I need your help. And I want you to wash me clean. And that sincere prayer all over again activates the blood of Jesus in your life. And it cleanses you all over again. There's no reason For any of us to leave here today covered in tar. 
covered in sin. These altars are open. I want to give you an opportunity to pray. Seek after God. This is, this is between you and Him. The blood of God is powerful. It's powerful. And it's available. God bless you. You can, you can seek after the Lord today.
I rushed a little bit there at the end. I cut something out that I think God wants me to share. So I'll give you one more nugget as we close. James said that the, the power of our temptation was found in our desires. We're tempted when we're, we lust, when our lust and desire matches up with something that's sinful. That's where the power is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 30 and 31, And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. 
How do I avoid falling into this trap? This I die daily, I've had people try to make the arguments that see, the Apostle Paul sinned every day of his life and he had to die out in repentance. Every, that's not what he said. He said, why, why are we in jeopardy every hour of our life? He said, there's an answer to that. He said, I can die daily before the temptation comes my way, before I have the opportunity to do wrong, I can find a place of prayer and say, God, help me to lay aside these things today. Take this out of my heart. All the things that, that I would do. How did he say it? Not my will, but, but your will be done. I'm dying out to self today, Lord. That way, when I walk by and the easy solution's right there, what would have been in me that gave that thing so much power in my life, I've already crucified it before I ever encountered the temptation. We would do ourselves a lot of good and, and we would really help ourselves if we would learn at the start of the day. Every time, God, help me to do what pleases you today. Take, take the, the power away from temptation, the power away from sin by crucifying this old flesh all over again. Remove its, its teeth, remove its grip so that I can overcome it. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your blood today. Without your blood, this would be the most depressing message on planet earth because we would not stand a chance. <laughs> but Lord, you've cleansed us, you've washed us, you've given us access to that fountain. God, I'm grateful. I thank you for it. I pray that you would help us as a congregation to live under it. To die out to self so that temptation and sin wouldn't have such a pull. Help us to walk in the light as you were in the light like the scripture commanded. Lord, let us see fruits of holiness. God, we long for the day we step across the lines of eternity. And we inherit eternal life. All because of what you've done for us. We know it's a gift and we thank you for it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Say hello to one another. Be friendly. Keep praying if you want to.